haven't you seen Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. Today my guest is Joel Berman from The Lamb. How are you doing today, Joel? I'm good. Great. Um, so as usual, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about little, tell us a little bit about yourself and the sites you run? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Joel, and I'm uh, currently living in Sweden. I'm Swedish, uh, and I'm working as a production manager within film and TV, and I'm also uh, the shepherd of the large association of movie blogs, and I have my own blog at joelberman.com. Uh, and I've been um, a big movie buff for my entire life, so I'm, I mean, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really into movies a whole lot. Yeah, that, that's not surprising, especially whenever you you're the the head of a, a collection of about sixteen hundred movie sites. Yeah, <laughs> my taste isn't very highbrow, though. My my favorite films are often films that people don't like that much. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we go ahead and get into the, some of your movie tastes with uh, with my questions here? So, what are three movies that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of yet? Yeah, um, these. Pr- I mean, I don't keep a record really of of my viewings, but I would say that these three are at least like if I would rank, you know, ten or fifteen movies, these three would be among them. So the first one is the original Planet of the Apes. Have you seen that one? Uh, yes, I, I have seen that one. Yeah, it's it's um it's a. Fa- I mean, for a long time it was really my favorite film, and I still watch it now and then because I think it's pretty good. And I actually wrote. When I started film science at university, I wrote my, uh, you know, we had like a bigger essay that we were supposed to write about something regarding film, and I wrote it about Planet of the Apes. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think the original film is really good. Uh, I haven't read the book, but, but I think the film stands on its own feet pretty good, and I think no no other sequels or the reboots have really uh, managed to, you know, uh, come be as good as that as that one. Yeah, I've I've seen the original. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it now though. And and I saw the uh, Tim Burton um remake. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> Which really? I I liked it at the time. Um I, I still think it's okay. I I don't think it's as bad as people think it is now, but it's definitely not the best. It's it's a really confusing film. I I know he tried to twist it up and all, but it just became too much, I think. Uh, so the other one is a film that I've been known for having as a guilty pleasure, and that's uh, The Net, uh, <laughs> the 90s generic Hitchcockian thriller with Sandra Bullock. Uh, huge fan of the film, still enjoys it when I'm watching it, and I watch it at least once a year. Yeah, I, I've never seen that, but it's funny because one thing that I do remember about that movie was uh, it was a, a new technology at the time um for the movie making process and it was a computer program so that whenever Sandra Bullock was typing it didn't matter what keys that she hit but it would show up on screen um what they wanted to have on screen but it was in time with what she was typing so okay. she would type a letter and then a letter would show up on screen but she didn't have to be typing. She didn't have to know what she was typing. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Feels like a script or something. 
what well, would you call it, computer script or, or right. something. Right. Yeah. And the third pick is what I consider to be like one of the top ten best action films uh, in the history of film, and that's First Blood uh, with Sylvester Stallone. Um, really good action film that also has a, a deeper meaning uh, within story and character race, characterization. Uh, I think it's an awesome film. Yeah, that, that's another one that I haven't seen. I, um, as far as the, the 80s action films go, I saw a lot more Arnold Schwarzenegger movies than I did Sylvester Stallone. I, I think I've missed almost all of Sly's movies. Yeah, well, okay, First Blood is a great starting point. I, I do think it's his best piece of acting, uh, even uh, compared to Rocky. Uh, I mean, I, I really do think that film is a good one, so, so uh, check it out. Yeah, uh, I... I I have it on uh, my list of movie of big movies that I haven't seen for uh, people to choose from whenever they guest on this podcast, and I have a feeling somebody will choose it sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they should. Uh, and then, what is your favorite movie that you've only seen once? Yeah, this this was a pretty easy choice for me. That's a film called Close Up, uh, directed by. Um, Iranian director Abbas Kiarostami. Uh, this film I got on a DVD when I lived in the US, and I've only seen it once, but I remember after seeing it, I was so taken away by it that I felt like they, they, back then I still had you know ambitions to become a director rather than a producer. And when I had seen this film, I, I was thinking like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be done. Um, I mean, it's like this meta kind of film. It's it's like a semi-documentary, at least more like a mockumentary, I guess. I, I don't even remember the plot really, <laughs> but but it's it's the the fine line between what is you know fiction and what is documentary in it was uh, really really intense uh, in a way that I remember. I think okay, this is really how it's supposed to be done. So then I've I've of course wanted to revisit it, but it's like one of those films where you feel like oh, I'm not in the mood and. So, I mean, it's, I don't know how good that is that you don't want to put it in again. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, it, it is, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's the one that comes to mind. Because I said to myself, this is the best film of the world. I wouldn't stand by it now since I've only seen it once. But So it's it's pretty suiting answer for the question. Yeah, some of, some of the best films out there are hard, can be hard to watch. Yeah. I mean, Kiarostami, he, he is an interesting director. So, I mean, it's his more famous film is probably Taste of Sherry, I think, if you have heard about that one. Um, I, I, it sounds familiar, but I, I can't place it in my head right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's more of, I think that's the one he's known for. Um, it's about a guy who tries to find someone who can bury him after he has uh, committed suicide. Um, so, yeah. Okay, and then um, what is your favorite genre of movies? Yeah, this one was pretty easy as well. It, it's like I, I, I thought of it as I would be going to like a desert island or something, and I only could bring one genre of movies, and then it would be action movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kind of known for you know liking a lot of like generic '90s action films, so it feels like that is probably my genre uh, of choice. Uh, if we, if it just had to be down to one, uh, I mean I, I'm really a big fan of. You know, films like The Long Kiss Goodnight, or if you could classify Independence Day in that genre, it would be as well, even though it's probably more science fiction. But I think action in general is something that I'm, I really, I'm really fond of. 
Yeah, I, I I always think of Independence Day more of an action movie than a sci-fi movie. It, it just it's an action movie that happens to have aliens. Yeah, and then uh, this could be kind of a subgenre of action movies. But what <laughs> is your favorite superhero movie? Yeah, the I mean it's it's like if I would have to say what is the best superhero movie, I would have said uh, The Dark Knight. But since the question is phrased, what is your favorite? Mm-hmm. I'll have to go with Spider-Man Two. Um, I think it's it's the the film in the Spider-Man franchise that best captured the comic book. And I'm, I grew up on that comic book and I really love it. And it's a big part of why I'm interested in, in working with filmmaking and storytelling. So with that in mind, I think the second one is the one that, that is closest to that, uh, original source. Hence why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. Also, I could mention my, I know a lot of people hate this one, but I, if I would have, if I had to go in the same uh, phrasing, uh, my runner-up would be X-Men: Free: The Last Stand. <laughs> and I know a lot of people hate that film, but I actually saw it in theaters three times, and I, I don't know, I have a really strong connection to it uh, that I really can't explain because I mean it, it, it has faults, but I, I, I'm drawn to that film in a way that's super strange. Yeah, that's definitely uh, not. Uh not a popular choice, but I, I'm with you all the way on Spider-Man 2. That, that's, my, <laughs> that's my favorite out of all four Spider-Man movies so far. Yeah. And then finally, what is your biggest film-wise? A film that you haven't seen yet, but you feel like you should, or just, just one that you really want to see but haven't gotten around to yet? Yeah. Um, well, kind of a cop-out answer I had to give to this one, because I actually I looked at IMD's uh, top 250 Try to go with that one, um, and then it's it's probably Jang Guan Chained, um, but I don't know. It, it the cop out feel to it is is mainly because I'm not that interested in seeing it. But but since it is Quentin Tarantino, I you know I want to yeah see all his films, so that's probably why. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm I am a fan of his, but but not like a hardcore fan. So it's I'll wait. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. I I've uh, I've only seen a, a few of his movies so far, and even though I've really liked them, um, I'm I'm still not gung ho to to just seek out and devour his his entire filmography. And uh, even though I saw like all the tons of praise about Django Unchained, it, it's also one that's that's not really high on my to see list. Yeah, and I have this feeling towards his films also that they aren't super easy to rewatch. Uh, kind of like we talked about Close Up there earlier. Uh, it's like when you have seen them, even though they are really good, uh, they aren't too easy to go back into again. Yeah. Okay, and um, the movie that you picked for me to watch for the first time is one that I'm, I'm surprised it's taken 10 episodes for us to get to, because it's generally considered one of the best movies of all time, and that's The Godfather. At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. I ask you for justice. That is not justice. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. I want my own life. I don't apologize. Take care of my family. Can you show us the way? Of course. No. I want that money down and to me. Somebody help me! It's not personal. It's strictly business. 
Well, the yeah, to to me it was kind of uh, when I understood that it wasn't taken, uh, I thought it was a per- the perfect choice, of course, because I mean, in if I would rank like my you know favorite films, this would easily be, and it probably before before this viewing, it would easily be in the top ten. Uh, I think it's a, it's a super good film uh, in so many ways. I mean, most people know it, but but the story breakdown is that it it's about uh, a mafia family uh, called named Corleone, uh, where um, Marlon Brando plays the. Uh, the father in the family uh, that is like the big uh, the big mafia boss and it's it's mainly it's mainly about some conflicts about um, different areas of uh, of mafia business in i mean it, it's the plot isn't really that important it's it's more of an atmospherical thing in the film um, i mean it's it's one of these films that i actually every time i want to see it I'm kind of saying to myself now. I'm, now I'm going to take it down. You know, I'm, I'm really going to pick it to shreds and say this is this isn't as good as people want it to be. Uh, but it it more or less always ends up with me just you know enjoying the shit out of the film. Um, kind of not this time though. So what what was your thoughts about it? Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I can definitely see how it's considered one of the the greatest films of all time. Uh, the the only sort of negative I would have against it is maybe maybe it was just the because uh, I watched it late at night, but it, it was a little bit from hard for me to follow some of the to connect some of the names. Yeah, yeah, that, that is that is an issue. It, it takes a couple of viewings to get the names down, so you understand. It's almost like you would have wanted a, a documentary style where you have like the the character names in a in a sub. Um, Subtitle track, <laughs> or like uh, how uh, uh, I think Guy Ritchie does, like in Snatch. Yeah, yeah. Where it has the the little pop name pop ups that tell you who the characters are and how they connect together. Yeah, the, yeah, that's true. I can I can imagine that being uh, an issue on the first time. I I mean I've seen it maybe five or six times or something. So I know them now from the beginning who they are. So it, so it's not really a problem. Um, but it it has also taken. A couple of viewings to you know to to get uh, to to really think of it as 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 great as it is. Problem I had this time though was that I kind of thought that the the later half of the film actually was in the part two, um, like in in the sequel. Um, for some reason, I don't know what I I never had a problem with it before, uh, but it felt like. Part two is more about that things uh, that take place in the end of this one. Uh, so I think I think it was a bit slow, and it might be just because I've seen it quite recently. I think I saw it. I bought the Blu-ray last summer, so I watched all three films last summer. Um, uh, the the thing that I actually would like to bring up is that how the the opening scene at the at the wedding is like it's more or less of a breakdown how, of how you're supposed to shoot an opening of a film. Because it's really, you know, this this complete uh, evidence of, of of how to portray, how to you know show off char- characters that are gonna play an important part, and you set their character tra- traits really quick, you know, by just having simple scenes 
that maybe a minute or two on each and then you have set the character and you know who they are and and they come back later to fill a bigger plot point mm-hmm. uh, and i'm not sure how how it plays on a first viewing but but to me to have seen it now a couple of times it it's really so perfectly done you know with the undertaker who has to repay um a favor and with this um the singer that is apparently rumored to be Frank Sinatra, uh, also come into play later in the film. So I think this entire opening sequence is kind of something like every film should try to aim to have this kind of efficient storytelling, because I think they would be, you know, uh, there would be a lot of pros trying to do it like this. And I don't think it's too complicated to come up with schemes like this. Right. And and I also, um, one thing that's... Uh that uh, somebody brought up on an earlier episode whenever I watched Deer Hunter for the first time is they, they compared the wedding scene and the Deer Hunter, which felt really long and bloated. Yeah. It, it was the first hour of that movie. <laughs> and, and they compared it to the wedding scene in The Godfather. And it's, uh, I think it, I don't think it's quite an hour, but it, it is like at least 45 minutes or so yeah, yeah, of yeah. the first opening. But it doesn't feel nearly as long. And it's, it's much better paced and you still get the, the celebration moments in the, in the wedding, but you also get a lot of the drama, how it intercuts with the, uh, with the favor requests from yeah. the two characters. And it really helps set the tone of the movie and, uh, and you really get a feel for the character of, uh, Vito Corleone. Yeah. In the beginning. And it's, it all happens really quickly and really efficiently. Like you said, it, it's very well done. Yeah. There's not much, uh, much time that just spills, you know, for, for unnecessary, unnecessary things. The thing though that I think is a big difference between the wedding scene in, um, Deer Hunter and in The Godfather is that you have a very good advantage in The Godfather when you can inter, inter, um, uh, when you can cut to the scene where he's talking to the people that are coming for favors and then cut out to the wedding. In the in the Deer Hunter, you're more or less at the same place. So you don't have anything to cut to other than other places in the wedding. And it's also a lot less dialogue in that one. So it's more like you see people celebrate, but you don't get to know them really well. And I think that's the probably best part of the wedding scene here is that you actually get a feel for the entire family and all the guests uh yeah, because you get to know them a lot more. Uh, and as I, as I said, the family dynamic is really set here. And it's like, I mean, it happens like the first 20 minutes. And that's really good for a film that's over three hours long. I think it, this one is three hours, exactly, I think. Because yeah. you get you get the, the character of Michael and, and Sony and Fredo, like, within their first scene. And it's that's kind of how storytelling should be done, I think. And of course... Vito Corleone, who is masterfully played by Marlon Brando. I mean, I, I usually have a hard, really hard time uh, disconnecting from big movie stars. Uh, but I mean, he doesn't feel like Mar- Marlon Brando. And that's an achievement. Just uh, just that thing. Yeah. And, and one, one thing that I always talk about is... Uh... 
what what I knew about this movie before seeing it. Yeah, right, yeah. And the the Godfather is another one like Jaws that has really cemented its way into pop culture that it, it's hard for me. It's hard to go into the Godfather fresh just because it's been parodied and homage <laughs> so many times. Like uh, I I'm a big fan of the Simpsons and, and yeah. I like to bring it up and I know they talk about they think that uh, the Godfather is probably the the most homage movie throughout the course of the Simpsons and I definitely recognize a lot of the scenes and of course the the whole um, the whole favor scenes like they do in the beginning that's been parodied so many times in so many different movies and the with the the, the only part that that's kind of bad about the movie now ha- having seen all the parodies is it's a little bit harder to take Marlon Brando seriously with his uh, his cotton ball books <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean by it. However, this time, I think I've had more of those issues before when I've seen the film, but this viewing, for some reason, I actually bought into his performance really well. And I think it's mainly because after he is shot and he has been to the hospital, he really plays being older in a way that feels like genuine. It feels like it's kind of a different character after he gets out of the hospital. Yeah. And I think that helps helps in me thinking of it more as a real person than, than an actor just playing a part. And I, and I also think that, that he does manage to, to pull it off well enough that that, uh, my, uh, that me having a hard time with it didn't last for very long. It, it, yeah. it, it went away pretty quickly. Yeah. And there were also some of the the other scenes that I that I knew were coming up. Like as soon as I heard the name Luca Brazzi, <laughs> I, I was familiar with with the phrase Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I knew that was coming up. And uh, as soon as uh, I think Sonny, as soon as he pulled up to the uh, toll booth, yeah, I I had re- I recognized that setup and I knew what was going to happen. And uh, and I also was familiar with uh, with the scene. Uh, at the end of the movie, whenever Michael becomes a godfather and they uh, they take down all the other fi- heads of the five families at the same time. Yeah. Have uh, you, uh, do you follow uh, Breaking Bad? Um, no, it, it, I've seen I've seen probably the first half of the first season. Yeah, because they they do like and um, there's an a thing in a in a later season that is really inspired by that sequence. Um, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I mean, the, there's a lot of things that are inspired by that yeah. that sequence. Like um, a, another one that that comes to mind is uh, the the show Angel, the the Buffy spinoff. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. The the season finale of that, or the series finale of that, <laughs> it was very similar, where they were taking down the the five head demons of uh, Wolfram and Hart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well. In in the in overall, I do think that the acting is is really good. It's it's not only Marlon Brando, but even Al Pacino. I think is surprisingly fresh here. I think that's more or less all his parts after this one, including the Godfather Part Two, has him you know doing his normal thing where he he screams and he has these wide open eyes and he's like. I mean, he he does what Al Pacino does, but I don't think he does it here. Here it's more like. He's just being Michael Corleone, and I think the the sequence where he shoots the police and um, 
Solotso in the restaurant is a fantastic scene. Yeah. Because I mean that's how, that's how I imagine a person shooting someone like that for the first time would feel. I mean he has been to war and has probably have killed people there, but but I mean this is something else and I think he plays that fantastic because he doesn't really listen to them when when they talk to him when he come back he's just so focused about you know pulling the gun doing all the stops and all that and he's so concentrated on it mm-hmm. and i it's, i think it's masterful in a way that you rarely see in film and and i as i said i i have a problem with al pacino doing his you know usual routine and everything else but i think he's really fresh here uh and Robert Duvall is great as well, um, I think. Uh, the, the only one I had problem with was uh, Talia Shire. Uh, I think she she went over the top. Was she the sister? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of <laughs> interesting yeah. Con- contrasting her with uh, with the part in Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, I didn't even realize that that was the, the same actress. Yeah, yeah. She, she plays Adrian in Rocky. Yeah, that like I, as soon as you say it, I, I can see it now. But uh, I, I didn't make the connection at the time. It's probably because she plays a very different character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had I've had some issues just with her being you know so extremely outspoken and screaming, and uh, I mean more or less the entire film. So it's uh, I don't know. She's basically uh, a shrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that that is if I if I gonna have to you know pinpoint stuff that I think is. You know, I mean, this is a very good film. It it would be, you know, it's really, really nitpicky to find stuff that that doesn't hold up. And I, I as I said, I think that my lack of love for the for the later part is more because I've rewatched both this one and part two quite recently. I think it still is a very good film, but I wouldn't have mind this time probably if it would have ended more or less where um, Don Vito died. Uh, I think it would have been a proper way, more or less. I think. I don't know because I've uh, watching this for the first time. I I really feel like this is this feels like Michael's story and it's his journey from being someone who is like that's my family, that's not me. Yeah, and to becoming the the new Godfather. And uh, I, and I completely agree with you what you said that Al Pacino's performance is is very understated, but that makes it a lot more powerful. Yeah, and uh, like I'm, I'm familiar. Like one of the movie podcasts I listen to is uh, Hollywood Babylon, and uh, Ralph Garman on there. He does a lot of impressions, and he he very often does his Al Pacino impression, which is (laughs) kind of what what Al Pacino has become today with his uh, over the top and just yelling very often and. In fact, like during the first half of this movie, I wasn't even 100% sure that that was Al Pacino. I was thinking, <laughs> is that Al Pacino? It doesn't look like Al Pacino. But then, uh, like after he gets his jaw broken, he he looks uh, the later half of the movie. He he looks uh, a lot more like the Al Pacino that I recognize, even though he doesn't act like the Al Pacino that that was in Jack and Jill doing the Dunkachino song. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had the chance to see that one. So. Yeah, I, I I didn't see the the whole movie, but I did. Uh, my wife, for whatever reason, decided to see it, and I came in at the end <laughs> during the the, the Dunkachino commercial. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you're watching this, and she said, I can't believe I just watched that. <laughs> yeah. 
another actor that I would like to bring up is uh, John Casal because I mean it's insane. He he's listed on IMDb as having seven seven actor performances, and the films are Deer Hunter, Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather Part Two, uh, The Conversation, and The Godfather, and then it's like two one short film and one TV episode. <laughs> I mean, he died in seventy eight, but that that's a pretty good number of films to have been on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he his depiction of Fredo is like. I mean, this is how you portray a loser. <laughs> I mean, it gets worse in part two. I'm not going to spoil it, but but I mean, his uh, his character is kind of he doesn't really develop into anything. Uh, but I mean, he he does a really good uh, portrayal of the of being a loser. I think uh, so. I enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, the cinematography is awesome as well. It's. Uh, I mean, it's it's a lot of all the elements coming together and you know forming one really good piece. And it's like the, the cinematogra- cinematography and the music, you know, the score is is uh, really suiting for the film as well. So one other thing I knew was the uh, like the the main the main theme, uh, but I was kind of surprised that I think they only use it once in the movie. They may use like a, a reprise of it, like a variation of it later on. But the the whole na 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 na, I I only noticed it once. Um, I didn't think about it, but I, but I think there is pretty much um, score music in it. I think. Uh, but I yeah, guess there, there's plenty. There the the score is definitely very present in the movie. But uh, I was just talking about the the one. Um, yeah, yeah, the that, that main uh, piece that's that's most often associated with the film. I'm not sure if maybe it's it's used more often in the sequels. Yeah, I think it it might actually be in the second one. I think um or maybe not. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it, it it's it's there, but I don't know if if they overuse it. I think it's uh, to me to me this is a film as I said, I I have a hard time, you know, remaining strictly analytical about it because I get so drawn into it. I mean, Citizen Kane is another film like that where I really try to, you know, be analytical and, you know, bring it down and, and say, this is, this is bad. And this, this is not as good as people say it is, but it has the similar qualities where, where I often is just drawn into it and I just think it's a great film. And when I, when I get in that mode, I have a hard time, you know, actually nitpicking on stuff. And, and it, it's often comes from, from films that have like, all the elements are really good and they interplay great with each other. Because I hate also when, when films are like, when you just sit there and think, oh my God, this is such beautiful cinematography. And then you're like kind of almost alienated from the film because you're just sitting and thinking about how beautiful it is. Uh, or with the score, for, for example, if it's, if the score is like 10 times better than the film you're watching, then you also get like alienated. And I, I like when, when they are even and they um, build towards something bigger just, just by being a certain element uh, and all, all of them, you know, build to something bigger. And I think this film is a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah, all the elements definitely fit together in just the right way to where not there's not one element that stands out above the rest. Yeah. The, the acting is there, the cinematography is there, the score is there, the direction is there. It all works in the right amount to yeah. create something 
greater than the sum of its parts. And you and you mentioned uh, Citizen Kane, and and that's one movie that I watched a long time ago, and that's one of those movies where you can't deny that it's well made, it's great film, great filmmaking. But in my opinion, it's not a very entertaining movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I, I've always find um, the Rosebud conflict being really, you know, captivating. Uh, I, I think it's it's just a great element to build a story around. Uh, now, I haven't seen it in a while, but I know that I've, I've tried, you know, watching it analytical a couple of times the last couple of years, but then I've always been drawn into it. Uh, but I know it, it might be a personal thing as well, because I know that I watched that film when being quite young and actually thinking that, okay, I, I might actually like films a lot, because I, I knew that I wasn't supposed to like a black and white film from 1941 that much. So, <laughs> but, but I agree to th- that the entertainment level in this one is is way up there. I mean, it's... The thing that also comes to mind is that is that like the violence and stuff like that is is quite good for being such an old film. It's it feels really realistic and and when they you know uh, when they kill Luca Brasi is um ah uh, it's quite a hideous scene and when they kill Sonny as well. Yeah, um, like a lot of times in movies, whenever you see somebody get strangled, it's a scene that takes maybe five ten seconds. Yeah, but that's not very realistic and even though um even the Lugabrazzi scene is still probably shorter than how long it would actually take it, it feels much longer than you typically see someone get strangled and and that that uh, really makes it more impactful yeah i mean it's just again there when it when you feel that it's it's not as show-offy uh, as it can be in other films when, when there is these kind of death scenes. I mean, I mean, both those scenes are great in a way that, that they just feel like, okay, this happened, <laughs> more or less. Because, I mean, when, when Sonny is gunned down, it's like, it's this crazy thing when they totally, you know, uh, shoots up the car and then they shoot him and then they actually walk up to him and shoot him three times uh, in the stomach as well just to, you know, make sure that he's dead. And it just feels so casual. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like it's glorifying the violence, <laughs> like some something like it's not stylized. Like even even though I do enjoy the stylized violence, like in Kick-Ass and a lot of Quentin Tarantino yeah. movies, it's it works just as well to have the more realistic and more subtle violence, like is shown in here. Yeah. So are you are you, are you stoked to see the sequel? Yeah, and I'm actually curious to see the sequel, and and that's that's kind of one. It's a plus and also a minus about doing this podcast because yeah. it's great that I get to see these films, but it's bad because I am less likely to seek out these kind of films on my own yeah. because it's like, well, that would be a great podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the second one, but I mean, the third one is a train wreck. Uh, that's a really bad film. But the second one, a lot of people actually hold the second one in uh, in higher regard than the first one. I mean, I mean, I hear that a lot, but I, I think it's a lot lesser film uh, than the first one. Um, it certainly don't stands on its own feet uh, as this one does. But I, but I mean, it's kind of 
natural when you when you have this kind of setup for films. So, so I mean, it kind of requires that you have seen the first one. Um, still good, but but a bit melodramatic, I think. All right, and and uh, one thing that I was going to mention that, that I forgot before we get into our final thoughts, but yeah. you mentioned that uh, that this really draws you in. And I definitely agree with that because I watched this movie a little bit too late last night. <laughs> and there were several points where I was thinking, all right, I really should get to bed. But then it's like, then just after I finish this scene and then that yeah. scene sets up the next one, it's like, okay, just one more scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, that's a great, um, that's a great, what do you say, review or, you know, uh, feeling for a film that you watched first time. <laughs> I mean, I, I usually have that with TV all the time nowadays. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just one more episode. <laughs> all right, so um, why don't uh, we go into uh, your final thoughts about The Godfather? Yeah, it's uh, of course it's a it's a must see if you are a movie blogger or a movie buff of some sort. Uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a film that that is so well regarded and so rightfully so. So it's. Uh, I mean, it's just insane to not have to not have seen it. Uh, the sequels, not so much. I think. I mean, the second one is is a good companion piece, but the first one is is uh, way better. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. It's it's taken me a long time to get around to it, but I'm I'm glad that I finally got a chance to watch it. And it, who knows? Maybe if somebody doesn't pick it, I will go out on my own and watch uh, the second one. <laughs> maybe in a few weeks. We, we we might have to do a Twitter campaign for someone <laughs> part two. <laughs> All right, um, let's take a quick break, and then after we get back, we'll talk about the movie I had you watch for the first time, Masters of the Universe, which is very different than <laughs> The Godfather. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. And that is why the resurrection themes present in Pulp Fiction elevate the film above... uh, I'm sorry, Pat, what is it? Well, well, Pat, as interesting as it is to hear you prattle on about Tarantino again, uh, do you think maybe we should stop talking to ourselves? Well, can you think of an alternative? As a matter of fact, Pat, I can. What what if we spoke with other bloggers about the world of film and film writing? We, We could work with the large association of movie blogs, the Internet's premier film blog directory. Go on. And, and what better place for land members to hang out but a pasture? We, we can call it the Film Pasture. Okay, so we'll work on the name. The Film Pasture, a new podcast from the large association of movie blogs, available in iTunes. In the 80s, He-Man was a successful toy line and a cartoon, so it made sense that somebody would try to expand that reach into a major motion picture. It had the action star Dolph Lundgren as the main character He-Man and Frank Langella as his nemesis Skeletor, but it seemed like the filmmakers weren't completely sold on the popularity of He-Man. First off, instead of naming the movie simply He-Man, they called it the slightly more ambiguous and more sci-fi sounding Masters of the Universe. And second, instead of having it set completely in the fictional world of Eternia, they brought the characters to Earth and gave them teenagers as co-stars, including Courtney Cox in her first acting role. 
the acting is cheesy, the special effects are very 80s, but it's a movie that I can put on any day and it'll bring a smile to my face, whether it's Skeletor chewing up the scenery or Billy Barty and his ridiculous makeup. It's a movie that I really enjoy watching. So what did you think about the movie? (laughs) Well, first of all, this must be the biggest Star Wars ripoff ever. (laughs) I mean, it was blatantly how much they try to imitate Star Wars uh, in the characters. I mean, well, the the first thing that I had to bring up is I, I kind of grew up with him and as well as, you know, seeing the cartoon and, and the action figures and all that. And it's so strange that they went with this totally different approach to it. Yeah. This feels a lot more grown up and it, and not really tied to the toys or the comics uh the comic show at all yeah and like they, they have he-man uh skeletor of course evil in and then like they have beast man as kind of a side character and then they have man at arms and uh i forget it her name and then they introduce a new character gwildor <laughs> Yeah, I think it, but but the thing is though that a lot of the, you know, costumes didn't look like the action figures either. Uh so just the thing that I felt like they almost wanted to detach themselves from the, you know, the the prejudice of what He-Man is. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean normally how they have done, I mean I didn't do any research on this. Uh but but for instance when they they did this animated Transformers film. Have you seen that one? Yeah, um, the the one with uh, oh, it's, it was just called Transformers the movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean that is kind of infamous because they kind of killed off like half of the Transformers and, and introduced new ones because it was so many characters in it, and it yeah. was basically because they wanted to sell new toys because they want to, you know, people had they think that okay, a lot of people kids already have like all the toys so now we have to give them new ones so we put them in this film so and then we kill off Optimus Prime and a couple of others and it's also somewhat famous as being Orson Welles' last role (laughs) but and the thing is that I understand that reasoning because then they know that okay then we can sell toys out of this but this one that doesn't work like that because it it feels like it feels like a lot more of a grown-up film because it has this dark tone to it, and it's it's also a lot bleaker than the cartoon. And as I said, the the characters don't really look like the action figures anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, it's it's just such a weird thing. I I can I understand why it didn't go uh, why it didn't why it, why it didn't go so good. Uh, I assume at the box office. <laughs> Yeah, it, it had a, a budget of about $22 million and it only made $17 million. Wow, $22 million. That sounds a lot for being 87, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, b- back to my initial thought was that, I, I mean, it felt so much Star Wars uh, also. Because, like, these black henchmen felt like, uh, you know, um, stormtroopers. Yeah. And then they also have like Skeletor feels like the emperor in, in all these scenes. He sits on his, you know, throne, <laughs> throne chair. And he's like, he's got the like, raspy voice. Yeah. Yeah. And he, 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 he even throws in down a ventilation vent. In the right. He scene. dies in the same way too. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some lines as well. I mean, I should have taken notes, but it was so blatantly <laughs> obvious that, that it was like, I mean, besides from the whole crossover thing going back to to Earth, that is, of course, not Star Wars at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the other plot points felt like they were blatantly ripping Star Wars off. Um, 
I mean, I enjoyed it in a way. It, it's like a, it's a cool, um, cool time capsule film, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> but definitely I mean, feels very 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's also this the strange thing with having the teenagers. It's almost like it doesn't care. It's just, but I understand why they have it. It's, it's, it's so that the, the younger audience can have something to attach to, I guess. Yeah, but they don't. They don't really feel even any. though even though He Man is a kids' cartoon, they they feel like he doesn't connect with the kids. Yeah, but I think that's also the choice they they choose to to have like have it be a lot more darker and more like realistic. I mean, the thing is though, I I saw the producer's name and then I recognized them, and they actually produced. Uh, let's see here. Uh, like you know, have you seen Cobra? You know the Stallone film. I'm familiar with it, but it, yeah. again, that's it, one of those Stallone films that I've never watched. Yeah, and and also the producers I'm I'm referring to is the one called Globus and Golan, uh, and I think they also did one of the worst. Uh, yeah, Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. <laughs> Uh, and over the top, also with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and I mean, all these films are kind of in the same. You know, harsh vein. They, they aren't really cartoony at all. I mean, it's it's uh, so it's kind of like having. If you feel like you, you're gonna take that approach on He-Man, and then just throwing in a couple of kids to, to have the people being uh, the audience to have something to latch on, it feels so contradictive. <laughs> I mean, just just do it more like the cartoon to begin with. <laughs> I think yeah. they would have, you know. Uh, yeah, it would have been a smarter choice, but I think this it's it's kind of cool to to look at it from some kind of artistic point of view because I mean it is it isn't like how I recall a film of this a, a film um, adaptation of this kind of franchise to be. It feels really artistic uh, for being such such a commercial you know um, product from the beginning. Yeah, you can understand what I mean. Yeah, I think so. And one other thing that I like about this movie is even though the special effects feel cheap, <laughs> it feels like they're, they have a lot of cheap special effects. It, it, it reminds me a bit of Flash Gordon because <laughs> it, it has – like there's a ton of sets uh, and ton of makeup. None of them are really pulled off well, but there's just so much of it that yeah, it, it's uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, but it, it's also like they they aren't really con con what do you call it uh, consequence. Uh, yeah, it's it's more like you know one one of the the bad guys that looks like a poodle almost, <laughs> and he has this weird cape, and it, it feels so almost like I don't know. <sighs> It feels so campy in a way that, and it's also kind of random. It, it's it's nothing that just goes over the board, uh, you know, all the way through. That it, that it feels like, oh, this feels like in the same film. It's just uh, it's it's loose ends all over, and I think that's kind of cool, also. Uh, and I guess it might be an eighties thing. Uh, I don't know. I I haven't rewatched a lot of that kind of films lately, but I, I think. It might be, but but I just feel like it's it's such it's so many wrong choices <laughs> because as I said, I grew up with the with the cartoon series, and it feels like this should be like a huge blockbuster film, even in the eighties. I think mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you watched a cartoon or played with the uh, with action figures? Anything? Yeah, um, 
Like, I, I don't remember much of it, but I know that I was a big He-Man fan whenever I was really young. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, um, I usually get complained, w- complaints when I talk about, you know, stories being really simplistic and, and easy. <laughs> and I think, but, the, but still being really well executed. And I think that the He-Man cartoon is one such example. And then it feels so strange going this way, uh, about doing it. But I do understand also that it's probably a way to, to not be too attached uh, to to the earlier uh, version, or would you say, like the, the original product? I mean, it's it almost feels like they they don't want to be connected to like uh, these stupid action figures for kids. Yeah, although I, even though he was playing, he felt like he was playing Dolph Lundgren. It's <laughs> it's it's surprising that. Um, it's it's not surprising that they chose Dolph Lundgren to play He-Man because he feels like he should have been the best choice for the role. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I mean it's hard now to to remember who would have been uh, you know um, who would have been other suitable candidates. Uh, I mean the obvious one would probably be Arnold, I think, but he this was probably too low budget for that. But but I mean yeah, I think Dolph kind of works works uh in the lead i think i mean it it is really good when he when he screams that he got the power and all that <laughs> which is more or less the only tie-ins with with the comic from the character point of view other than the costume i think so it's uh right it's a character that's most well known for his sword and yeah he yeah. spent most of this movie shooting guns yeah yeah <laughs> that's another reason why i feel like it's almost like uh you know they oh, really try to yeah. <laughs> not be connected with the original one so no, I think I mean Dolph. He's uh, he's an interesting guy, definitely. Uh, and I mean, for me, the choices when it came down to it to pick, uh, you know, uh, the, the the other film here. The, this was the obvious one, and the other one would have been his Punisher version because I haven't seen that one. <laughs> yeah, his, his Punisher is. I would say that his Punisher is a very good um, late seventies, early eighties generic cop movie but it's not it doesn't feel at all like a punisher movie oh so it's like a charles bronson film then right well i need i need to seek that one out then (laughs) yeah it's it's a decent enough movie if if you look at it for what it is yeah but if you're looking for a punisher movie it's not a great punisher movie (laughs) and also for whatever reason they they like to show dolph lundgren naked (laughs) okay a couple times just well, for no apparent reason. Yeah. So something else that's quite interesting is that after uh, the director of this film apparently hasn't, he has only directed like three short films after this one, and the first <laughs> one took like 22 years <laughs> after <laughs> He-Man. I, I know that IMDb doesn't, you know, they they don't list uh, everything, but it's kind of telling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, one of one of my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, even though he is, there is a lot of parallels to the Star Wars Emperor is Frank Lagella yeah, as yeah, Skeletor. Yeah. I think he really gives it his all, <laughs> and then some. But in the context of this movie, it it really works, and I think he's just about the best part of this movie. 
Yeah, it's the 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 most interesting. I knew who he was, uh, the actor, but I still had. I think he did really good work in not playing like he usually does. I mean, it is. So I, I was kind of thinking that I mixed up the names or something, but then I went in and looked that that it is him. I mean, he has this mask on, but often you can see like the mannerism and like gestures and stuff and and the tone tone uh, you know voice tone and stuff like that that you can see who it is so I, I think that's that's a really cool thing uh i don't know if i think that he was like super um i mean it's it's it, as i said to me it was like a lot like the emperor um uh, uh, but I, I mean it might be something that i you know when i say okay this is star wars this is star wars then you know you start to almost search for it so i mean right. i mean he is he is a very good actor i really like him so it's kind of interesting that he ended up in this film. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy to, to think that the, the same guy that did this would go on and then, um, like one of his more more recent roles is a robot and Frank. To, <laughs> yeah. to think that that's that's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, did you did you know that there was a post credits teaser? Oh no, I missed that. Yeah, it, it, I even forgot about it the the la the the time before this that I watched it. But at the very end of the credits, you see Skeletor come up out of the pit and <laughs> smile. <laughs> so they were hoping for a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so did you see this one in cinemas or? Um, no, I don't believe I did. I, I'm pretty sure I watched it like on TV or home video. Yeah. But I I did watch it whenever I was younger, like uh, probably in my young teens. And I really enjoyed it back then, and I I still I still enjoy watching it. It's I mean I, I it's one of those where like I I enjoy watching certain bad movies just because <laughs> they're fun to watch. And this is one of those where I can't deny that it's not a bad movie, but I also just really enjoy watching it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I probably won't pick it up anytime soon again. <laughs> but, but I mean, it is, it is what it is. And I mean, usually this is the kind of film that I could fall in love with. But, but I mean, it didn't happen this time. The thing, though, that you know, I, I, I watched uh, here, and as you said, it, it grossed uh, 17 million only in the U.S. I, I think it, it doesn't really feel like a super bomb, anyways. I mean, it, 22 million in budget and 17 grossed in the U.S. alone feels kind of okay, doesn't it? Yeah, although like back in the 80s, the, the, they wouldn't have gotten much more out of the, the worldwide because yeah, worldwide grosses have really exploded in the past 10 years. Yeah. Where yeah, it, it's not surprising like... for a, a movie anymore to make more in the world, more in the rest of the world than they do in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know how much distribution it got. I, I'm, I'm not even sure this one was released in Sweden, which feels kind of strange because this is, however you want it, it this is one of Dolph's more kind of famous films where he's like the, the, the sole lead. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it is, let's see here. Yeah, if you go into his um, IMDb page, unknown for he, Masters of the Universe is there. And then it's like the two Expendables film and Universal Soldier. And I mean, that's more of a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. So, I mean, this is probably the film that he has carried himself uh that has been like the the most profiled. Um, yeah, he, he's more, he more, much more often plays either the villain or like maybe a, a sidekick. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I enjoyed it, but but I, I kind of, as I said, it feels feels like a lot of strange choices, uh, and I don't know why they came about like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I still think there's room for a good He-Man film, even though it's a bit dated. But I, but I think that universe itself is kind of as made for doing films uh, about. So yeah. Um... And I wouldn't be too surprised if it does come up. I, I know that they um, did, within just the past few years or so, they did reboot the cartoon. Oh, okay. I, I believe that was fairly successful. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure how long it lasted or if it's still going. And yeah. I know that another property like that is uh, the Thundercats. All right, yeah. And, well, and I know I'd really like to. I think it would be really interesting to see a, a Thundercats motion picture, which I know that they have been working on that off and on for some time. I'm not sure what the status is now. Well, is it animated or uh, live action? Um, I uh, probably CG. I think was what they were going with. But it, it's been a while since I've heard any news on that front, so it, it's probably one of those projects that's dead in the water now. Yeah, I mean, I would totally see see like uh, a reboot of He-Man with like uh, Chris Hemsworth or something. <laughs> that's the main part. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I do think it it it's a little bit tougher to. To really have the big title be He Man. Yeah, yeah, no, it it is uh, it is really cheesy. I mean, I can't even imagine how it is for someone that has English as first language uh, to actually, you know, interpret that title. It's so, you know, incredibly, you know, what you say, almost kind of sexist in a way. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but <laughs> but but it is it is strange. <laughs> Very testosterone-driven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I think that about wraps it up for He-Man. Um, why don't you go ahead and remind everyone where they can find you online. Yes, uh, I'm uh, mainly on Twitter nowadays at, uh, at Joel Berman and also through the Lamb Twitter account uh, at Lambda. And you can also check out the LAMB site uh, where we have a lot of activity going on. Yeah. And as always, you can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at BubbaWheat. And uh, I'm also on Facebook through Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights. And you can listen to this podcast through Podomatic. Uh, and I'm also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio under FilmWise. If you'd like to find out what movies we'll be talking about on next week's episode, go ahead and listen through to the end for the mashup trailer. Until next time. I am truly sorry for what we've had to do. We had no choice. May you finally find peace. I wish it's the captain, which is the master. Not the He's got it! He knows. He knows. He knows. All right. He knows. Easy. I'll take care of you. I just as soon kill you as kill him. I once thought you were a man of honor. Now I see you're nothing but a monster. Our deaths are scheduled for today.